A reading from the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians, beginning in the fifth chapter. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not, uh, we will not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan under our burden, because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by, the, by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It's good to be here with you guys. My name is Joseph Miller. I'm a deacon in Idaho, and it is a blessing to be here with you. Um, before, we, before we begin, let us, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help, because we, we need much help. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would open our minds and soften our hearts, and that you would, you would reveal to us your word. You would speak clearly, Lord. Bless us by the preaching of your word. And Lord, anything that is not of you, would you cause it to fall away quickly? But anything that is of you, would you cause it to take deep root in us? And we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. And in Matthew 24, he begins to tell of what must happen on earth in times before the end of the age. He lists false Christs who will lead many astray, wars and threats of wars, famines and earthquakes. But this is only the beginning of the pains, the birth pains, he says. He continues on saying, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because the lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. He's talking about, he's talking about us. <laughs> You, you can look around in suspicion now, if you want, at your neighbor. Or you can turn your eyes on yourself even. Is that, is that, is that me? Am I going to do these things? And if you want to go back further, just a little bit further in the scriptures, we can go back to Genesis. And we can work our way through the story of a people whose narrative feels at, at times like a long slog, uh, a death march almost, that pain is everywhere in their story. It seems like wherever it is, it's theirs to be had. And suffering has been promised to us. Suffering and strife are guarantees, friends. 
guarantees. The, the Father promises that Christ himself promises it. Suffering and strife are guaranteed. Tribulation and trial are inevitable. And no nation is free from it, despite our rallying under various political ideals or philosophies or social theories. Despite the continual striving for a human utopia, no people in any time have truly been alleviated of it. Not even God's own. You would think, God's own. No pain, no suffering. Yet suffering is guaranteed. And so when, maybe you can relate, when I'm at work, I'm a, I'm a welder, uh, part-time, I, I build furniture, uh, and sometimes, I don't know if there's any welders here, but it can be a frustrating job sometimes. And so when I crush my finger at work and get angry and cursing the earth for ore, or when I fail to follow through on an agreement with a friend and they no longer trust in me, or think that I'm reliable, or perhaps if I'm walking down the street or you're walking down the street and you see somebody who is uh, li who's living outside, maybe they're mixing their drugs there before you, they're openly suffering. We reason our way out of trying to help that person. And so if suffering has been guaranteed, then why are we continually surprised by it? Again, if, if great suffering from wars to famine to genocide, some of the worst things you can possibly conceive of, families turning on families, if those things have been promised to happen, then, then why aren't we just anticipating it at every turn, every moment? And why aren't we able to patiently cope with it beyond groaning and griping? You would think practice makes perfect, right? I'm sure I'm not the only petty one right, who grumbles at light sufferings, stubbing my toe, or some, somebody cutting me off in traffic. If you are like me, then take heart. He's like me. He's raising his hand. <laughs> I've got good news for you. We have some true companions especially in the early church, and especially in Corinth. Uh, so where we land in the scriptures today, if, you, if you'd like to open and follow along with, with me in the text, uh, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll just be doing verses 1 through 10. This is, uh, this is Paul's second letter that he's sending to the Christians at Corinth. And if we take a minute to reflect on some of the reasons that Paul is writing to this community, we can stop and give thanks because the Corinthians sorted out a lot for us, calling on, calling on Paul to address a handful of problems that arise when humans gather together continually. Uh, the church at Corinth knew suffering. Aside from becoming uh, more and more socially and culturally estranged as they embraced the way of Christ in the face of, of culture in Corinth, The Christians at Corinth dealt with division. They dealt with division. Like almost no other early community, uh, that, that at least that we see in the New Testament. And so here are just a few examples uh, as a refresher for 1 Corinthians, the first letter that Paul has to write to this community. 
They set up fake spiritual hierarchies according to personal gifting. There is sexual immorality, including incest, people pledging allegiance to various teachers in the church, trying to set them at, up as celebrity pastors. I mean, that goes back to the early days. <laughs> celebrity pastors. That's crazy. The Corinthians. Lawsuits between believers, idolatry, neglecting the poor and getting drunk during the Lord's Supper, and so on and so forth. We could go on. So, when we come to the fifth chapter in the second letter, Paul's already back at it. He, he knows. He's familiar with their struggle. These are people he knows well. And he's, kind of, he's at his best, really. I think Corinthians uh, is Paul just on point. And he's trying to remind them. He's not, he's not trying to... It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not hate mail that he's sending along. He's trying to, rem to remind them of what it is that they've committed to, the way of life. But in this particular passage, he, he is trying to uh, establish... Um, he's trying to remind them of the hope that that way of life is built upon. Paul writes... For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have, a, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I found it interesting that uh, as I was reading through this text, I thought, tent, that's, why does he choose tent? That's so weird. Um, there are some, maybe some obvious things that jump forward. A tent, especially if you think of our modern tents, they, they, you can set them up easily, you can take them down easily. So it's something that is easily destroyed. And if you don't stake it down and a strong wind comes, you're rolling down the hill. But if you look uh, at other translations, I think something that's more faithful to the Greek is he's using the term tabernacle. And that, that has implications. That suddenly changes it from simply a dwelling to the dwelling of the Spirit of God, the dwelling place where heaven and earth meet. This isn't the first time. The Corinthians would have been familiar with the image he's using. Um, because in the first letter, in chapter 3, he writes to them, asking, Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells within you? So we can just think about the, the implications of that. And he goes on saying, He who has prepared, prepared, this for us, prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Tribulation has been guaranteed, but it doesn't end there. It never ends there with God, pain and suffering. It never ends there. If we look back to John 16, we can remember how Jesus concludes that promise of tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And since I mentioned it earlier, if we're going back to Genesis even, God makes his first promise of deliverance even in the very first curse being pronounced in Scripture. You can find it in the curse of, of the serpent. 
I mean, that's, that's marvelous, isn't it? Think about that. Freshly mucked up creation. We've just done our first coup, our attempted coup, and God's like, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this right. Here are some consequences. I'm going to make this right. And honestly, the way he has made it right does not even compare to the consequences that we've suffered. He is too good to us. Friends, as you look around at these people gathered, as I mentioned earlier, you may look, oh, are you going to betray me? Am I going to betray you? The ones sitting next to you, don't be surprised when you betray one another. Don't be surprised by that. When you're out in the world, at work, or at home, don't be surprised to see or to experience suffering. As long as we are away, here in these bodies, these tabernacles, pain and suffering will come. This we know. Most of us are, are in it now. I'm willing to bet most of us are suffering in some way even now. But I encourage you to reflect upon the reality of your person. A temple of the living God. This, this mess, a temple of the living God. By this and by this alone, if we choose to participate in that reality, that is the reality that will carry us through suffering. And I'm not just talking about the, the sort of petty sufferings that we go, that we experience day to day. Those are part of that too. But we're talking about those things promised in Matthew 24. Wars and famine and such. Because the scriptures give us an image of a glory that we can't even comprehend. It makes these pains light and momentary. They cannot, they cannot compare to the glory that awaits us. It's eternity in the presence. I can't even, I can't even, I can't explain what it's going to be like beyond what the scriptures can tell you. I can't. And I think this is why the author of Hebrews is continually using the shadow of the things to come as an image. It's just something that we cannot comprehend, the fullness of the reality. The reality that is Christ. And so Paul continues, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home, in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Here the Apostle Paul gives insight into how it is that we endure. And how it is that we place ourselves within the hope. It's by tending. It's tending the tabernacle. Without prescribing a list, Paul gives a summary statement for what tending looks like. Not because he's trying to be vague, but because the Christians know in their hearts and minds already. They've heard the apostolic teaching. Paul's giving, Paul gives them an understanding that, that it's, it's in the day-to-day, -day, as we are living pain-to-pain pain and joy-to-joy, that our task remains the same. We make it our aim to please the Lord. 
And what does that look like to obey him and fulfill his commands? Don't we know it? The scriptures say that love is to follow his commandments. And as we read even early in the, in the liturgy this morning, do we remember that of Jesus' own summary of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. I think we try to write, we, we try to put that away. When he answers the question, he's only asked about the greatest commandment. But, but Jesus replies with these two. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. He's sitting next to you. Whether they're your friends or your family or your spouse, everybody in this congregation Everybody who comes to attend the service here at All Souls is an image bearer of the Lord. And we cannot love the Lord without loving our neighbor. So before, uh, before we conclude, I, w- I want to make sure that we understand that what I'm saying about suffering is that it's always going to be there as long as we are here in these bodies. but so is the guarantee of the Spirit. We sowed the seeds of the guarantee of pain. We did, we've done that and continue to do that for ourselves. I mean, you just watch the news or an episode of Vice. It's just, it'll, it, it cuts you deep. But the reality is that God has sent his Spirit. If you have received Christ, God has sent his Spirit to be with you and to help you in that way. I know it sounds elementary. Maybe you think, oh, man, maybe you should have just done this on a flannel graph, man. But we need the basic reminders. We need that. We need to be reminded of the fundamental reality and truth of our faith. Of our faith. I want to commend two meditations for, for all of us. I want to, I'm going to join you in this. I'll be back with you guys next week as well. Um, I, I want to commend two meditations for you to dwell on this week. And, and it's, uh, it's the gospel readings that we heard this morning. The two parables. The parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. As we think on ourselves as tabernacles or temples to be tended, these parables will help us to reflect on, on that caretaking and what that looks like. The priestly duty we have within these bodies. And yes, we do. We do have a priestly duty to one another. But I want us to reflect on what the kingdom looks like here. And this isn't... uh, I'm not calling you to something strange, especially in this time. This is ordinary time. We are... that's That's what this green is all about. It's about growth. It's about individual growth, but it's about growth together as a community. This, this, community, this community will not survive if we are all focused on our individual growth. We could go into all sorts of garden metaphors, and I really want to. There's a, there's a system here, a system of love, an economy of love that we are living in. So we need to help one another. And part of that comes with tending the temple. So let us receive well what has been given to us. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have sent your spirit as a guarantee to be with us, to travel with us everywhere we are, to, to comfort us. We acknowledge you as comforter, Holy Spirit. Lord, giver of life, we acknowledge those. And Lord, we just, we invite you and your indwelling presence to show us the way to be caretakers and to be priests of these temples and tabernacles that you've given us. Because, Lord, we know that your indwelling spirit is our guarantee of, of, of the life to come, of the life that will swallow up and consume this, this tabernacle, which is feeble, Lord, but you have given us an eternal dwelling that you have made for us that cannot be shaken by any, any storm, any hand. So we bless you and we praise you for these things, holy God. And we ask for your help and your mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.